This episode of After the Whistle contains profanity. Listener discretion advised. Please enjoy. Well, I bring my dog, <laughs> and their dogs are ripping around in uh, where the ice is. And I remember bringing my dog, and I remember putting him down, and it was like these insanely large mammals came over to my dog like it was a squeegee toy and my dog was not a friendly dog teddy uh has been known to bite like as as in like i am not kidding you probably bit over 100 people in his life drew blood from maybe 20 of them but not a big deal they're just like little nips no lawsuits no lawsuits and uh he was not a friendly dog at all um and he it was like it was like screaming bloody murder when these dogs were kind of coming over just to sniff them and stuff like that it was awesome it was awesome it was awful i had to pick him up i'm holding him the whole time he pissed in the weight room like three times it was (laughs) not a good day everybody's you know calling me teddy and i think teddy i was called teddy deuce because we were playing this stupid ass game that Vinny Donfu showed me on the plane. Again, another rookie stupid mistake. I'm sitting there playing poker with these guys. We're playing queens and deuces. And I don't really catch on to the game until I'm down like 7,500 bucks. And we haven't even taken <laughs> off on the tarmac yet. We we're not even in the air. I'm down $7,500. So now not only am I Teddy, I'm Teddy Deuce. Like it's just it went on and on and on and on for for years on this team, but uh, I, I enjoyed every single minute of it. We had a we had a great group. Let's talk about uh, moving on to uh, New Jersey. How'd you end up in New Jersey? So the uh, whatever the ninety what is it ninety nine two thousand year um, that's the expansion was a Columbus and uh, I forget it was Minnesota. I think those are the the two years. So I was left unprotected, which was, and again, I wasn't happy. I think you hear that from a lot, not a lot of guys, but I was not, I didn't want to leave Montreal at all. I liked it. I liked it there. I was just becoming, we've had a couple, you know, our team's kind of rebounding a little bit. We played Pittsburgh, I think the year before that, and then lost to Buffalo in the second round. Um, So, you know, I think we were, coming around a little bit then they started trading guys and and as it went went on i think that was the year down foos left or the year before and then thornton left they, they started trading guys and you know there was you know especially guys like myself and thornton I, you know, scotty went through a real tough time with vigno there they had a tough falling out and again that goes back to the kind of the being under the microscope in montreal and, and especially for guys who are role players and play that kind of i think the validation afterwards like scott thornton couldn't get in our lineup in montreal like um and he's a great friend of mine and he's in like that phenomenal shape and he went on to play for dallas in the finals before that year he was traded went to san jose and i think he had he had close to, if not 30 goal seasons for the Sharks for a couple of years. So it, it it shows that, you know, just because you're not liked or, you know, welcome in one team that you can, you can play afterwards. So, and I was not thrilled, uh, you know, I think in that mistake of, um, you know, leaving there, we had just built the house, like Riv said, a bunch of us lived out on Nuns Island now and, uh, we had a good group traveling to games, and I was left unprotected. But I get I get a call from Don Means, my agent, then, and uh, don't don't pack your bags; they're going to take you. But there's a side deal, and of course, I th- I come to learn later on this is how the great Lou Lamarillo would run his whole <laughs> his whole you know his whole organization. That I knew I wasn't staying there. I was told that. And then I, um, but they couldn't tell me like Donnie couldn't tell me where I was going. Cause there was obviously some, you know, these deals were being made out. You know, if you were doing this stuff today with the tampering and all the different things that go on, you'd be in trouble. So I didn't know where I was going until after I was taken, I had to be taken first and then they could announce the trade afterwards. So I was taken by Columbus in the draft. 
and I was immediately traded for Oliwa, Christophe Oliwa, and Darren Quint. And they were, and they had just won the cup. They just beat Dallas in the final. So I was pumped. And after, after being pissed off that, hey, I'm leaving Montreal, uh, because I, I also thought, you know, leading up to that year, I think, and that did do Montreal some damage. Like uh, we were close enough to try and make a run for the playoffs and didn't make it in. And it wouldn't, you know, with the cap and the way things work today, that wouldn't have happened. Like Shane Corson and I were the assistant captains of that team and we were both let go for nothing. Like I was unprotected and Corson signed as a free agent. Like you can't do that. Like you can't you get no return for players, you know, whether we're role players or we're there, we were, you know, the, the two assistant captains of the team, you know, voted on by the players were let go for nothing. You know, Scott Thornton, I think I forget who even Scotty got traded for. And they were making trades like that, that, uh, that, that were, that were for zero. Unlike now that I've been watching you guys do a little homework, unlike the Craig Rivet trade that ended up bringing me, <laughs> that was like a tree. <laughs> so I always like still it. going, when by I, the way, or might have just ended. Going, I, I heard that. So that's like ribs is like fertilizer for the Montreal Canadian, which is nice. That's always good. So, <laughs> well, last I get, time I, I get, played there, I got booed. So <laughs> if I ever go back, I would. Well, after that, that story you just told about Koivu, you ain't going back. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're going with a with a security team, you you caught that story, did you? I heard it. Like he I, he he asked me if I've heard this story, and I, and no. And what I couldn't believe when he told me is how they got away with that. In that like if you're playing for the Devils, and that happens. Okay, I, I get it. Or you're in Minnesota, or you're in Vancouver, but. Anybody who spent any time in Montreal, how that happened without the trainer, coach, anybody slipping. And that's one after you even said it out loud or talking about it now. Ribs, take that one to the grave with you. That's the ones you don't talk about. <laughs> but yeah, I heard that one. So I, I get to Mon- uh, I get taken in the draft and then I go to New Jersey. And I'm nervous as hell because I obviously you're coming off a great team, but then Lou sits me down and uh, Larry Robinson's there, the great. And I knew Larry from a little bit before, cause he always, you know, when he was coaching in LA and, and when the, he, those teams come in and you, you see the great Montreal Canadiens. So I knew, I knew of Larry before. And of course I, I had a, a relationship with Marty even before, cause we were drafted in the same year. And um, so I knew a, f- a few of the guys were there and, got sat down and go like, look, this is, and, and Scott Thornton and I talked about this years later about, Hey, you're, you're here for this purpose. Like you're here, here's your role. Like you're not just here to fight. You're here to, to play. We like the way you play. You're going to fit right in here. And you, you were immediately loved and immediately the team dynamic part of it was a total change for me. Like, um, of how, how well they played, how great the leadership was obviously you need talented players obviously having the best goalie and that made it easy but we went right in and I, I i i love it there like when once i was traded there living you know 30 minutes outside of the city it's a sleeper place like everyone land you know and we're on planes and we land at york and you see all the refineries and the crappy bridges and all you see is the city and you see this crap you're going oh my god new jersey and then the metal honestly sit here right now and and tell us that new jersey is a great place awesome place to play it's a shit that's what that's what and you know what no so you're so wrong you're so wrong like you get out like yes it's 10 10 minutes away from there when i where i lived in glen ridge like these homes and these trees and the like they're they're little square every every township on the east coast is like it's its own community like like there's not like oh here in Seattle the school districts are huge like you live so the average distance for a player on the team is how far away 15 from from the rink yeah from like 15 minutes from the Meadowlands but we all live near the practice rink in in uh in uh in orange yeah but now well, they're all, orange, right? they're that all 15 minutes took you an hour and a half to get there oh and, no uh, traffic never 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 took us that long but uh-huh. it, no it's a great place for and especially 
my kids were just being born. So having, having kids there and having, you know, living in that, it's phenomenal place. Turner, when I was a UFA, I mean, I knew I had limited options, right? Like I wasn't, I mean, I went to a Jersey on a tryout and earned a two-year deal. I got bought out after the first year, but still, I mean, I got a two-year deal. You get a two-year deal from Lou Lamorello on a tryout, you had a good training camp. But anyway, so I remember, I remember when I was going to free agency, someone asked me, family member, where, where, uh, give me three places you don't want to go. And I, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, in no particular order, uh, Edmonton, um, Long Island, and New Jersey. And the only two teams that were expressing any interest in me coming down to the end of the summer was Long Island and New Jersey, right? And I was like, oh, my God. So I got I to gotta put on a suit, cut my hair, shave, go visit Lou, and meet with Lou in his office in August. I remember my agent called me. Steve Bartlett calls. And he's like, you got a flight tomorrow to New Jersey. Go get a haircut because, you know, I like longer hair. You know, go shave, you know, whatever. Put on a suit and go meet with him. Fast forward to when I made the team. I couldn't believe how much I loved living in New Jersey. I mean, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, the times that we were traveling to and from the rank, never any issues. The, like, the, the cost of living was one of my biggest fears. But I mean, still, I mean, you're in New Jersey. It was, no one bothered you, Riv. I mean, you, you went about your business and you did whatever you wanted the 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 towns are great. You got uh, Morris. I think it's Morris Town. You got Montclair. You got the oranges. I mean, it's you're you're twelve miles from you know Manhattan. I mean, New Jersey is. A and sleeper. how was the cost of living? Extreme. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. It, it went way up. So when I where I live, like Petey just said, uh, Montclair, and there's a little town, Glenridge. So. There you used to have to when I first got there, you would go from train to the city, you'd go to Newark and then into Penn Station. So right near my like I forget what I paid for my house, three, four hundred grand back then. And and in in four years time it almost quadrupled because they put in a direct train. My last two years there was a direct train station they built in Montclair right into the city. So you're all these people coming from Manhattan want to live out where we live because they all these awesome old homes. Like they're 1905s. I had a great house. And then they put that direct road in. I was 23 minutes from Penn Station. Direct route, no stopping from my house, right down the block from my house. So it's uh, you're close to the city. You get to go out and you know kind of like be like you're in New York for restaurants and everything like that and then use the train system. Now, I agree with you 100%. You going in under the Lincoln Tunnel or over the bridge trying to get into Manhattan? Uh, yeah, you're sitting on a bridge. Yeah, uh, that's why the, they use the the massive train part. But hockey wise, and then you know, Lou is it, it was difficult. Like you, you, and and this is before, and a lot of this stuff comes from Montreal. It comes from Jacques Lemaire bringing in you know when he was the head coach, right. Um, the kind of the old Montreal system, New Jersey was ahead of, of how the game is kind of today. Like the, you know, ribs, I, when we were still playing in Montreal, I remember I had my bad back with, a, I think, Breeze Bond and Brunei. We flew American Airlines coach. Like we, we flew, I remember going to get my back examined in LA. That's the specialist was via coach. I had to have a wheelchair come down and get me. Now, always we always talk about you know spoon-fed athletes and you know the easy life you have but he was he was way different like he um you know how he treated the families how he treated the wives all these things he was very very demanding um and i remember my wife kim asking him that at the first christmas party like why do you do all this and he just says and we would stay like at the ritz carlton and the four seasons like we would stay in all and this was in 2000 and he had already been doing it for four or five years. He goes, I do all this so my players never have an excuse not to play well. He takes away all the excuses. Those were his words to, to, to my wife. And even, even the people in the staff, like he says, the shaving and everything, he was, he was an ass and he was demanding. But then, then 
he got into the team concept of what it made to be on a team and, and all the perks we got as far as our bonuses as the, you know, team induced bonuses that, that made guys like Marty want, want, want to make that much money. Like we had great stuff for like shutouts and, and, and uh, you know, wins in a row, like some of the teams and, but we were able to use those advantages and he made, when I learned this, like I said, I played six years, almost seven years in Montreal and got traded there and didn't realize like, this is what a true team and how it like a team works. It's like a family. And, and yeah. And like he runs that said. ship. He spares no expense for that team. And the reputation is all lose cheap or this and that. Not a chance. Not this all. guy, not a chance. Like everyone at Christmas got, we, when I was there for one year, we got, uh, uh, we got like watches. Um, I still have mine. I, I can't remember what kind Movado watches and all the wives got stuff. There were shit ton of toys for the kids. Like, Oh, so there's, it's, it was, it's incredible. My, my, and I don't know if you were still at if the practice rank was still at. No, in, we, we, in, I was, I was at Prudential were, center. So you're already at Prudential out in the practice rank. There's a little, it's gated off. It's just like a normal old crappy rank. And there's a great weight room and everything. And this is where I knew it was way different. So I get traded and then the, 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 the summers are extremely hot still. So when you get there for training camp in September, it's like Montreal or it was the same, same kind of climate. It's still, you know, 80 degrees and humid. And this is where, you know, the ship is different is so the bus can't pull into where the cars park. We're gated off. There's a couple fans wait to, to autographs and we go and have a morning skate and we're going to, because it's only exhibition, we're going to go play the Islanders. I think Islanders are Rangers. And I get on the bus. I'm about midway or close to midway. I'm just there. It's my first game with them. And, you know, there's only a few veteran guys or however many they got to dress bunch of, bunch of guys from the minors. And it's, we, we come outside and you have to have your suit and tie. Like that's every, everything's done up like, like it was back then. And as soon as you get on the bus and you take your stuff up, you're still sweating. We just got off the ice. We had a quick morning skate and you come out and it's 80 degrees out. Well, Scotty Stevens comes wheeling out and he's got, he didn't have the wife beater on, but just the white undershirt. And he's got his, his suit on his pants or, you know, and he's walking out. And he's got his dress shirt, tie, and coat hanging on his on his on his uh, hanger, and he's walking to the bus. And he walks on the bus, and he comes in, sits about third or fourth couple rows, and Lou's already on the bus. Lou and Larry are on the bus, so Lou's sitting in where the GM sits on, right behind the driver, and uh, he snaps his head around as Scotty walks by, and all of a sudden he goes, "Scotty," he gives in his little accent, "Get off the bus right now!" So Scott hangs his shirt up and what the hell is his and he's pouring he's got a towel he's sweating a lot of us do we're all we're all still overheated from our skate he goes outside and you can't hear what's saying but lou's got his little finger up in his face and you know because he's so tiny and all you see is this finger going about million miles an hour scott stevens the captain of the devils who just won this just won the cons might he just won the mvp for the play comes on the bus gets his suit, coat, tie, and jacket, walks back into the rink, into the bathroom, puts his suit, his shirt on with the coat on and the tie, walks back, comes and sits on the bus, sits down for 10 seconds, and then takes it off. Like Lou made him walk out. He's the captain. After this is his fifth or sixth year, they just won the second cup in a row, and he's making Scott Stevens put his tie and coat back on. And I'm looking, I'm going, what the hell, where the hell am I playing here? Like what, but that's the, that's the, what he demanded. And that this is, you know, the, that's Didn't the matter captain who of was. the team. Didn't matter who yeah, it was that's, and everyone's the same. Yeah. And that's the best part about it because, you know, on a lot of teams, Andrew Peters would come out with no, no, no shirt and tie on. Cause it's super hot. And I'd get on the bus and they'd say, go put the suit on. And then you'd have the star come out or the captain and they just let him walk by. And that's, and that's it wasn't a, an example for me, PD. It was an example for the, the 20 minor yeah. guys. Oh, that absolutely. Were on the bus. Yeah, and no, I, I, was trying to, absolutely. Was trying to I was just, I was just giving an example of the two different, yeah. two different spectrums of players and how uh, other teams yeah. might've handled that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that year you guys won the cup when I was there, I remember we went out, uh, we were in Pittsburgh and we went out and had some dinner and some beers or whatever. 
And Colin White and Jamie Langenbrunner and Marty, we, we were all actually, we were all at this uh, restaurant together. And there were more guys there, David Clarkson, but the guys that were on the team when you guys won in 03 04 or 0203? Yeah, 0203. Yeah. I heard a story that you guys kept rolling over and risking your playoff bonuses every series. Is this true? No, not that year. So that was it wasn't the year we won because I think the you know the, the rules really didn't change until the lockout. You couldn't do this, but that that was we did that my first year. So my first year when we played Colorado, hundred percent we did. Like so, we went uh, when I when I got there. Um, Doctor McMullen owned the team. He's the guy who brought it from uh, yeah. John McMullen. Brought the team from Colorado to there, and I think I want to say like from what I've heard, I get on the night. He was selling the team in training camp to the Yankee like Yankee Nets. I think like Steinbrenner's group. He was selling the team to them. And this is what a great guy he like. Their their platinum rings, their two thousand rings are plat. Like they're they're off the charts because they're made of platinum. That's the big part of it. Cost wise, I think he cut those guys a check for two hundred and fifty each. And yeah. Lyle line who we played with, and Sheldon Surrey, who was traded for Malakoff, got traded at the deadline. Like they weren't even on the team. And I can't, I've never heard this confirmed. I was just telling what I've heard that even though they, because they were there most of the year, he cut him a check for 125 grand. No they way. Even on the team. Yeah. So whether, whether that happened or not. So I come in and, and this is how Lou, he would like make the, these things were like, these team games were, were crazy. And we would, we would get these bonuses and meaning everyone was the same, like, so Marty and everyone. And I think it was like, every win was like $250. And, and then once you got to three wins in a row, it went to five. And then after every game of a win, you know, it was like a thousand dollars and a shutout was like a thousand. And then if a shutout in, in that streak, you know, it would multiply all these different, I don't know the nuances of it, so you couldn't pull that stuff off today, obviously. With, with but this is how he he would make guys want, and especially guys that weren't making four and five million, and some guys called out of the minors. This is big time money, and of course, being on one of the best teams, we we go like on a nineteen zero and three run to finish the year. Some some ridiculous something like that. So we've got we've got almost a hundred K or like 70 K in the pot per player, like some stupid version of that. I forget exactly the number. So he comes wheeling in around one. I forget that year who we even played in 2000 in the first round, double or nothing. Lou does. Yeah. We go giddy up. Of course we've gambled the odd time. Let's go. So we and everyone it. had to be in. On at what point in time, everyone had to be, in. Does had to does be a in. guy step up and say, 70 grand each gentlemen, $70,000. That's a yeah. lot of money, a, a ton of money, but like who's there, making there these guys... decisions Were the $5 million players making the decisions or did you have others on the team say, Whoa, boys, let's, let's think about this. Well, we, we had think about it and we did and I believe me, I was one of them, but we, I remember Ilyash kind of, and, and Patty and I, room together and, and he ended up being obviously a hall of fame player he's a great player and went on to make a ton of money but Ilyash and Sakura were coming off their rookie deal I don't even know if they're making 500 like those guys were leading scores on the team and they weren't making a ton of dough and I don't know and I may the, the number may be large I don't know if it was 75 to start but it definitely gets there so so we 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 start this and uh and we go double or nothing round one, and we win. We go double or nothing round two, win again. Double or nothing round three, and win again. So now we've got, I, I don't even know the, the dollar amount now, like where, where it started or forgot the seven, like it, it, but it was over 100. I, I know that. It was that much money. So then we give it the, he comes in, double or nothing for the finals. And we go, we've got to have a little respect for the, well, we, we need, we should have had a little more respect for it anyways, but we're now we're nervous and guys like this is, we're getting to the point for some guys and guys getting called up that they're making more than they made in the year. 
So we go, we took the, we took half of it. We took half. Everyone walked away with half of whatever that final pot was. And we put the other half on the line, the finals and lost it. But we, but stuff like that was what, how he, he, you know, he, he would like, he motivated the team. He galvanized the group. Like all I, all I kept hearing was like, you had guys making millions and you had guys that were, you know, the lower paid guys and everybody was in agreement. Like it wasn't, there was no separation. There was no divide. And that's how Lou Lamorello like built his team by allowing the guys to make certain decisions like that. Well, I remember we were playing like, whether it was you guys ribs or we were playing Buffalo or you playing any team. And bro, Durr is, he is like Gump Worsley. Like it, it's the end of the game. We're up six, nothing or some stupid thing. And he's flopping around like, like he is diving and he's, he is doing everything. And finally you go, what the hell is this guy doing? But it was that important to him. Like he, he, and that's what makes Marty Marty. Like he, he, he cared about the team and that that's all instituted by, by Lou and how it was run. And we all played that way. Like we all played for one another and it wasn't a a vocal team um, as far as, as far as doing that. But that was the first year uh, when we lost to Colorado and we did the same thing. I think those kind of went away. I don't know if when, when the league stepped in, I I don't know if it happened when the lockout is. There was many teams money reporting and how, there was many teams in the league that were doing that at the time. Yeah, hundred percent. It was just, it was nice to, and I remember we had one in Montreal kind of a little bit like that, but you know, Montreal never cared because the most we won was three in a row. When you go 19, Oh, and three and you build up some bank, it adds up quick, especially when you start throwing in these shut. Like, and of course you look at Marty's, you know, goals. And, and, and of course he plays, you know, 75 out of the 80 games. So we're going, yeah, keep putting that dumb guy in that as long as he keeps a shutout's 1500. I don't care. Keep playing him. He was, he was, I gotta tell you, man, he's it's probably the on him, biggest man. superstar that I played with in the NHL and just, just a normal guy. I couldn't believe how normal he was. That's to me, that's what threw me off when it, when it comes to Marty Berger. No, that's, the cool part of him is, is exactly like if his name's Joe Smith or, you know, like the three of us talking right now, he doesn't, he doesn't carry himself that way. And he more, he more stays. Like if you, if you talk to him, like I just saw him, like I said, this past weekend when the doubles are here and he does the business side for, for that group now, like he, it's, it's almost like he shies away. Like he wants to hang out with guys like us. Like he wants to hang out with away from, the others, I don't want to say the stars or anything. He just wants to be a normal guy. Like he wants to fit in and you don't, I don't want to say you don't see that of a lot of the superstar guys that they can, but he also gets to lead his life. Like, and I can see that's where, you know, wanting to be like somewhere in a Montreal or wherever. And as, as Petey said, he gets to be in New Jersey and even Marty Broder, you go with a Marty Broder and that's the benefit of living in New York or around there. No one cares who Marty Broder is. He just gets to be who he is. Yeah, and yeah. I think he really likes that. I think he appreciated players like us. You know, he, like he, your name came up a lot when I was there. But another guy, I mean, he's really close with Jim McKenzie. Another, you know, big time, big, uh, big tough guy. They were super there. buddies, from what I understand. Yeah, we're we're so Jim and I came there that same year from like he went in the two thousand year. He was. I think he was a free agent as well, like that that year, and we 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 went together and then won the cup together in '03. And they're great friends. Uh, yeah. All of us are like Jimmy and I drove drove to the rink together, and and um, yeah, he he does he he shields himself with those guys because we, I think I, I think we make him feel normal, and and uh, you know he gets to be if if that distracts him from being who he is, then yeah. they're great, but. Do you, do you, do you still have your, obviously you still have your ring. You got the cup out. You have it all out on display. Like, do you ever wear your ring? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you do with that? It's in my safe. No, very rarely. I, I, I do. I say if I go to an event or, or we're, you know, we're out or if I go to a, say a nice restaurant, I did when I first won. Um, um, but not, it, it's, it's, it's nice and and I do those things, but I let my kids have it a couple times when they go out. It's, it's you know they they put it on, but we 
it's 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 I don't say so long ago, but as the older you get, and I think everybody's different. I think everybody puts it on. But I, you know, if we go to a night thing or we go to events like the the talky the talky wise, I put it on and, and wear it to different. Uh, Can your fat bear claws get into uh, put on the ring now? Uh, yeah, they still can. Yeah, I don't All have right. it. It's not near me now, but yes, it's uh, it's a little tougher. Just because what I'm really getting used to is I noticed uh, it's not that they're so thick and fat. It's just my knuckles. It's the is, and I've heard that before. I'm having a tough time with arthritis, like getting them over my my right hand, just because of um, punching helmets. The, 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 yeah, punching helmets for years. The 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 shape of my knuckles is not not conducive to sliding it on. It's, inc- it's incredible you say that. I mean, my, I, I, I find that too. Like, like my hands, I mean, geez, there are days where like, and almost Turner, you know what? I was all right. I, I very rarely switched to my left. I, I, I just, I don't know. I didn't throw lefts. I just trusted my right. Um, but I find now my left hand, is is the one like I always find it clinch because that was the one that was holding on for dear life. Yes. Hey, yes. like that's the one where I would grab and I'd be holding on as hard as I could and clinching my fist to make sure that guys like you couldn't get free, you know, while I'm trying to get my right free. You know what I mean? So like for me, it's more it's more that left that I just kept grabbing and clinching with. Were you not so naturally a lefty? T? No, I'm both. I can't, what, it's, it's weird. I'm, I'm like, like I, like if you guys to play the guitar, I play left when I shoot pool. Remember you guys always, we play pool and you give me trouble. I shoot left. I hit a tennis ball left. Really? So I could, I was good at, I was good at like when I would could surprise guys and fight sometimes some of the good ones that I had was be able to switch easily um, to do that. I don't know. Like it, it's just weird. I don't write left or anything. I remember uh, that. That was the scouting my, report. That was the scouting report when we yeah. fought. Was he throws both right. just as well, equally well as the other hand? Yes, and I could, and it you know it gets you in trouble because if you're there, you're opening yourself up, and you get yeah. like I said, you get hit a hit a hit a bunch. Uh, but doing that wise, like even all my injuries, like that's where the toughest part for me is. Even when I retired, it wasn't a matter. You know, I may have been able to do it one or two more years I thought to try as a, as a free agent to do that. But after having my hip done, I think at the time when it was happened, it was like my 13th surgery that I had in my career. And I just, that was enough. And I've had, I've had three since, and I'm still, I got to do my Achilles on, on my, on my left foot. So it's still, like you said, playing that kind of game for a long time. It, it As you get older and putting, <laughs> putting rings on your hands, it's, it's done a, it's done a definite toll on my body for sure. Yeah. But how's I wouldn't change been, any of it. I wouldn't change any of it. How's been retirement for you? How were the first, you know, how was the first year, which is usually, which is usually for many, some of the hardest, you know, it's that emotional. Um, it's, it's like something was taken, taken away from you um, that you'll never get back and the structure and, 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 you know, missing, missing parts of what we did for so long. How was your transition into retirement? Well, it was, for me, it was like when I, the, the, like the, I guess the injury part of it, like you said, I had, I had a torn labrum, like when uh, the year, the year we won, the year we won, it was Oh three. And I didn't retire until three years after that was, I remember we were playing Tampa and, uh, Dan Boyle's flying up the up the boards, the defenseman for the Lightning, and and he goes right through my my right leg. Like I go to kind of pick the puck off the boards, he goes right through it, and he it felt like and he's flying and he could fly, even though he wasn't the biggest of guys. It felt like someone tore my leg right out of my hip, like it felt that bad. And then yeah, as the day the game, I finished the game, and the next day I go to get up and morning skate, and I can't I can't walk. And there's something like, oh, okay, I just have a groin pull. And this is in 2003. So then I, I go through and we play, we end up playing Ottawa on the final and I start missing game. Like I can't play. So I started shooting my groin up. So I start, like, I just think I have a groin pull. So I remember the first time I did, and don't do this. I tell everybody, kids, like later on in life, don't, don't, 
even, even athletes now, I, I think, you know, I, I get it. being a part of winning. So, so I can't obviously take that away that, you know, and I got to be a part of the team and, and play, but looking back, it was stupid. Like, like actually taking, you know, pulling your nuts to the side as they find that, you know, where everything attaches there and then them sticking the needle up there oh, for you to play wow. is, it's not the smartest move. Yeah. So, so I'm doing that for two or the three games against Ottawa and, and to play and we play game six at home and, and it's the scene of the crime. Like, like if we don't win, we've got to go back to Ottawa who won the president's trophy, who was legit. Like that team was, that's was the best team. One of the best teams I've ever seen not to win. Like they had like Char and Redden and all those guys on, on D and they, they were, they won the president's trophy running away with that team. So we have to go to game seven and all, and I can't play. I can't even like after the freezing comes out the last time. So we go into the final and um, I don't play the same thing. I, I, they can't, I'm not getting any better. Uh, it's now traveling up into my stomach. Like it's that kind of like rolling over sideways to kind of get out of bed. So we win the first two, then they tie it up in, in Anaheim and the doctors call me in and they give me that. We've got one more thing we want to try with you. And of course it has, to, it has to do with an ejection. So we do this thing again, but it's going to be something that's not a freezing thing. It's going to last a little longer. So same thing. Let's, let's move your nuts over to the side and we're going to, this, this needle comes out and whatever they put in there and they go, okay, this is going to take about 10, 10 seconds to work around to see if it's going to work. And soon as whatever they inject me, it, it works immediately. Like it's like, I feel like right away I can sit up and I'm, I'm good to go. Like it, I, and I'm now I'm pumped. Now I'm excited. <laughs> like, even though I, I shot four feet off the table, I'm, I'm like, this is great. So I practiced the next day and I got to play the last, the last three games to win. And, uh, so then we, the next year training camp comes and the same thing happens. Exact same, pull my groin, uh, you know, in, they shoot me up with the same stuff. They do one at the beginning of the year. I do one at Christmas. So I do the same thing. At any time, are they trying and, to, are they trying to figure out exactly what is the oh, issue no, instead of like, yeah, it's not just, yes. And they just think it's a groin pulled out me having, I'm going to have surgery. We're going to, you know, you know, the that's when the sports hernia thing is coming along. So it's not, you know, we're trying to get me through the year. Then the lockout happens. So the lockout happens and I signed with the flyers as a free agent and I'm going to take a year off. I'm, I'm beat up. I played, you know, I've been in the finals two of the last three years. So even taking a year off, I'm going to practice the junior team here. It's not going to affect me because we almost played three years of hockey in two seasons. Like it's remarkable. Like even when I got to the devils, the first year, when you actually do the math, like these teams that go back to back, it's stupid. Like you put an exhibition they're they're whatever they're eight or nine games. So you have 18 games, then their playoff runs. You're playing, you're like 17 games short of playing three years of hockey in two seasons. And so we had played a ton of hockey. So I take the year off and I go to Philly. Same thing. I start great. I score a couple goals in training camp, play the first, uh, got a goal to start the year. Things are going well. We go into Toronto, like say morning skate a game three or four of the season. And same thing, Corian pops out again. So Jimmy McCrossin is the trainer for the Flyers. And I explain what's going on. And he goes, well, and this is when now labrums are the flavor of the day. They're the, the, the goalies are getting them done. And he had had Ron Hextall and like Sean Burke and Robert at these, you know, because your hip is so tight that you can't really get in there to x-ray or to MRI. So now they shoot the dye in there, the uh, whatever they call that when they put the dye in your hip and it shows tears. Well, now they go back and they shoot this dye into my hip to see if my labrum's torn. And if you, they tell you right away, if there's a lot of pressure build up, because there's nowhere for this dye to go. If it's not torn, you'll feel a lot of pressure. Whereas if it's torn, it, you know, it's a, it's a loose way to diagnose that you're going to be hurt. If you don't feel anything that it's going to be torn because this, this dye is running everything. So they put that dye in there and then they take a picture, an MRI of it. Well, my labor has been torn and it's been torn since this happened three years previous. So I've been going wheeling around 
with a torn labrum. So I try for three years. So I try to play through it a little bit more. And it's just, it, I, I just can't play. I can't, you know, not that I'm the best skater in the world anyways. It's, I can't, I can't move and it keeps pulling my groin. And I do this for like 20 games and I'm playing three games on one game, two games off to try to get this. So, so finally I had the surgery in Nashville and that's never the same. My legs never like my hip flexor, my lower back has never been the same. So then I finished the year out. We lose to Buffalo in the first round flyers do. And then which stunk, which stinks because I think we, we had some good free agents there and we had a good team. It's just a lot of guys got hurt. So then they buy me out. And I, um, I was fine with that. Like I just like with that, and then that whole year of trying to do that, and then the, the you know being what thirty four, thirty five now, the effort, and and I was still, you know, they can't buy until July, so I'm training like a bastard. Like I'm, I'm working my ass off to to get back into great shape and try and escape, but. In the back of my, like my, my, the whole time this is happening, my hip is killing me. Like it's not coming around at all. And I had surgery like in, in November of that year. And then once they bought me out, it was just like, they were doing me a favor. I, I did all that I thought I could and was happy with my decision. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, you talk to me 20 years later, 15 years later, it's been that long now. It is, yeah, you miss the guys and you miss the game. But as far as my decision of doing that and then, uh, you know, post-retirement or having regrets that uh, this was taken away from me, I didn't have that at all. And it was, so it was an easy, pretty easy transition for me. Do you think, do you, let me ask you this. Do you think winning a cup, number one, made that easier? Because that's like, you know, you're always fulfilled no matter what. And number two, getting right into coaching because you got, you took a year and then got into coaching in Seattle. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Do you think, do you think although, cause I had a very hard time after, after I retired. I mean, I, I was for whatever reason, I mean, you know, my own personal reasons, I've discussed them, but I'm not going to bore you with them now. Um, and I had a very hard time. Um, so I, I guess I just wonder, I didn't do those things. Number one, I didn't win a cup. Number two, you know, I didn't feel like my career was fully, you know, fulfilled. And number three, um, I didn't get back into hockey. I mean, I, I started doing something else and I felt, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't, I just felt like I I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know what I mean? And that kind of led me down a bad path. So I wonder, I wonder if that perfect combination for you is one of those things. I'm not suggesting that maybe you should have, but a lot of players, including that guy right there, Teddy, Teddy Deuce, he uh, he had a hard time after hockey as well. Well, I think a lot of like my my biggest thing, and I I credit my wife for that is like she's she's into real estate and got into a successful career for herself or for our family, but also my kids were as an age. But then yes, I got right into coaching. Like it, I took a year off as far as you know golfing. I've I've had a um, you know a great career, but but yes, I think. Yes, winning definitely helps that, and I—that's the best thing. When, when we did win, like everyone asked, what's the greatest part of that uh, of winning? Was it erased? And you did—I didn't know that at the time. It erased the 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 memory or the empty feeling of lose, losing to Colorado, the two pre. Like when you, you know, you look at the Devils now, like they, uh, or even the the Red Wings and and the Avalanche. The Avalanche are back on top now. Like they they've got a really good team and a great chance this year. But for those those that decade outside of Dallas winning for for I think ten or eleven years, only the Red Wings, the Avalanche, and the Devils won the Stanley Cup for like a decade. They were they were you know yeah. from ninety five to I think oh three. You know they were those were the three dominating teams. So when and especially having game six at home against, we were up three to two against the Avalanche with a chance to win it at home, and we didn't do that. We had to go back on the road and lose it in game seven. Um, to erase that hole, like that empty feeling of because you never know when you're going to get back there. If, and then two years later, that that happened for me, and then winning is is that definitely helps 
you know, make, you know, if you know, we all, we all put the Jersey on to, to want to win. And the, the best part about, you know, and I think, you know, Rose would say this too, is, is, you know, being in Montreal, like it was, you know, it's, it's not easy, but being in Montreal, like for myself, there was a lot of pressure for me. You know, I ended up being one of the extra guys who played, but they were not, you know, they were not successful at all, you know, and then Saku came right after a couple of years after me and obviously the phenomenal career he had, but Montreal has not, it didn't even at that time has had, and they're not the only ones that you look at even the guys who played, but the microscope is so much greater in that city is, and especially me being a first round pick. And now, you know, if, if you ask Turner Stevenson when he was done or even now, it was uh, the twelfth best player in, or should have. No, but I take me. <laughs> you know, I, I I didn't pick me. They did, and it, it would have if Turner Stevenson was a seventh round pick or a twelfth round pick and had the same career in Montreal. No one would care. No one. But it was just being the microscope of being the first round pick. But once I moved on and got traded, like that that was my point of kind of an earlier in our talk was you know, moves that were made is how I was valued on other teams. And and that's the great part, especially guys like ourselves who played a bit of the role of having to to fight and to do those things was I went from being that player to, uh, you know, okay, in my mind, they didn't want me anymore. I wasn't good enough to play in Montreal or play in the league to being a player who played 13, 14 minutes and played in the finals, the final two years in, in four years, I was in the finals twice. I've got scoring game winners in the Stanley cup finals and, and winning. So the validation came, came while I was still playing that, that, that um, just because you're not liked in one team where there's, you know, a thousand press people that, that can oversee you doesn't make that your career is not successful or, or a good one. Um, I always like, and I learned this from Keener. I always give him credit. I, I remember when, when Keener came back, I, th- I think when Dallas, so after the, I think 99, my last year in Montreal, he comes to warm up. We're playing the stars and, uh, and, you know, and Mike was same thing. He was devastated when he got traded. He was the captain and it was tough on him. He comes wheeling up and warm up and doesn't have one of his gloves on. And he's got all three rings on one of his sticks in warm up. He's wearing all three of his rings when Who's the that? stars are playing by Keen. So we come wheeling into Montreal and we get our rings at, uh, we get her rings. And I don't know if Rose remembers this. We get our rings at Christmas, uh, the following year. And we go into Montreal. I do the exact same thing. So they got guys go, Hey, we're going to Montreal. You're wearing your ring. I'm going, absolutely. I'm wearing my ring. So we have it. I, I wheel out for warm up on my top hand. I'm not wearing my glove when I wear my ring the entire time of warm up. So I, I always like those little stories, but I, I, um, when, when I was done and we have, when we have a tough time and you read the stories on guys, um, doing that, you know, I have those thoughts of, Hey, was this the end or, um, you know, my retiring too early or anything like that, but the transition wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't that difficult because I, I had so much like after that year of just golfing and hanging out, but I had my own kids that, and they were all young, like they were all, and they got into their minor hockey. And then I was the assistant coach for the Thunderbirds right away. It was, I was very active in hockey and I haven't stopped. Like I started starting, I got into head coaching my own kids the, after four years of the Thunderbirds. And I, I haven't like, they're all through minor hockey now. And I've done it the last two years where I'm coaching 18 and 16 year olds and I've done it for eight years. I love it. It's, it's a great uh, moving kids on to division one college to junior um, and to do it. You know, I'll, I have tryouts coming up this upcoming weekend again, and it's, it's a lot of fun. I get to be the boss and I get to pick my teams. I get to travel where I want to go and I'm still involved in the game. So it's a lot of fun. Good for you, man. Good for you. I I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, chatting with you today. And, and when Riff said you were coming on, I, I was really looking forward to it and it definitely lived up to the expectation. I, I'll just say this, you know, I don't feel bad for you being a 12th overall pick in Montreal because try being in 1997 in the off season, Buffalo traded a player by the name of Pat Lafontaine for a second round pick <laughs> to the New York Rangers. Okay. 
And the Rangers uh, had the seventh pick in the second round. And who did they draft? Andrew Peters. <laughs> so Sabres had the Rangers pick in the seventh, the seventh pick in the second round, which was 34th overall. And I have been reminded so many times that I was the piece that the Sabres got in the LaFontaine deal. How about and that? I always go back and pick those those nuances up and everything hey. like that. But and I always uh, hear, you know what else I hear, Turner? I hear, oh, the Sabres picked Peters in the second round. Datsuk went in the sixth round. I'm like, well, fucking every team passed him over yeah, five times. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, and that's so, my problem. <laughs> no, and those, yeah, those things are just brought up as as we're doing that. But like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, I don't, uh, and I think Riv says the same thing all the time. And all, most of the guys, like outside of playing, they're like, they enjoy their other cities and there's less pressure. But I wouldn't have not, like Montreal is my team growing up. Like I love, and I love my time there. Like I really did. I think, uh, um, you know, there's things, you know, where we, a couple of years where we had good teams, but but the where I always go back to, not I don't take it for myself personally. Like I look at guys like Pierre Turgeon, uh, and Recky and the Scott door. There, there was a lot of guys that didn't have to leave that city. And and those pressures aren't hockey related pressures. And that's, that's the difference. And I can say that because I'm, when, when you, when you, when you play, whether it's New Jersey, wherever you play, when you end up winning, there's a reason why you win those teams. And it's going to be very difficult. You know, I know they made the finals last year. Montreal is going to be a very difficult place to, to win a Stanley cup. And you just because the outside pressures and no one will admit that and no one will, they'll boohoo it and they'll say all these different things. The outside pressures are the, you know, the things, the structure that has to happen in Montreal. Like, like I always say this here, like the world's evolved, sports has evolved, what goes on politically in the whole world and everything. And yet you still have to have a head coach that has to speak French in Montreal. You know, Mike Keane got run out of yeah. Montreal because he speaks English only. Um, all I care about, I don't care if you're speak Czech, Russian, whatever that language is, hoisting the cup is the most important thing uh, to do that. Any other structure that's going to put any damper on that, then you're not going to win. Uh, they limit themselves there, that's for sure. I think so. Turner Stevenson, awesome. Awesome to meet you. This way, anyway. I mean, I know we, we our, our fists met each other's faces years and years ago, but you know, <laughs> those days are over. But it's great to chat with you, man. I know, uh, I know, Craig was really looking forward to having you on today too. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Well, listen, T thoroughly enjoyed uh, thoroughly enjoyed my time playing with you in Montreal. You were one of the guys. You know, you're older than I was. You know, you kind of took me under your hat. You and you and Savvy Brian Savage. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, we we uh, we we had we had a fantastic time. We were all young kids at the time and uh, living in one of the best cities in the world to play hockey in. And you know what? We we took advantage of it. But uh, you know, a lot of a lot of great memories there. It was a great. It was a, it was a pleasure. And thanks for having me on. And we can do it again. I can get to my other. Uh, Backstreet Boys stories on Craig, how that also put the team in a tailspin for the better part of five years as well. So, <laughs> the what? Oh, that's for another. You want me Moving to quickly tell that one? Moving on. Yes, you can tell that one. Always, always, always have time so, for. Craig really I wants can. you to move on here, but I, I don't <laughs> think this is a good idea. You should keep going. So, so ribs, ribs, we move out to Nuns Island and he gets his place up there. And so the wives are going to drive together, whatever, but ribs starts driving. me. Like he, he's picking me up. And I don't know if he remembers this or not. Oh, he'll remember once they tell it. And he gets the, the new Mercedes that's, they come out with those, what we call them SUV, the, the smaller SUVs. So he pulls up in front of my place. And, uh, you know, cause him and I, the reason why we drove, uh, yes, we lived out together, but we, him and I were always to the rink early. So he pulls up to my place and he's got this nice new Mercedes. He goes, wait, you know, T wait to check out my new car, whether, you know, he signed his good contract and it was nice, those nice blue Mercedes. And, uh, he goes, but the best part of this thing is the stereo. He, whether it's bang Olison or boys or whoever, Whoever makes this the, the sound for these stereos, and and he's not wrong. 
so like I said, I'm huge metalhead. Like I'm into, you know, Slayer and Metallica and all these, these bands getting, you know, that's our pregame stuff. So I get in and I jump in the, uh, I jump in the passenger side, got my coffee with me. And uh, he goes, you ready to hear this thing? And I go, yeah, I go, I can't. Yeah. So I'm expecting like. Riv right now, like, by the way, for those who can't see him, looks like a dog who just got caught nosing through the garbage. Now, so he, he knows exactly where I'm going with this thing. So, so we're sitting there and, and I, he goes, are you ready? And so I think like master popular, like something cool is going to come on here. Like he's going to really, and, and it does. He, and all of a sudden it gives everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm doing, and he's bellowing. Like I give it the slow head turn. I'm looking at this guy. So we're driving into the game. And I and I can't believe this has happened. I can't believe we didn't put it in the water. If I'm driving, it's in the water. We're going over the bridge. And he is singing the whole way to the game. We're uh, doing the Backstreet Boys. And, and I'm just going, what world am I living in? And I'm going, then the kicker is we get in there. He goes, by the way, he goes, Chris doesn't want to go. But they're coming to town in like two weeks. And I got an extra ticket. Do you want to go? <laughs> and I'm giving it oh, shit. so I'm going to the game finding out this guy's a closet backstreet boys guy and the only thing that saves it and if he remembers he goes to the show and he's thoroughly disgusted with the performance he didn't like it he and and he kind of went off on the backstreet boys but that was that was my introduction to his new uh, his new mercedes and uh, his awful his awful pick of music back then. And of course, like, and he's, he was word for word. He could sing that thing and knock it out. That should be your guys' walk up. Song well, listen, the, I mean, podcast. <laughs> he, I'm, I was more of a metal guy. I like the grunge <laughs> stuff. I like the stone temple pilots, Alice in change, like Metallica. I liked all those bands. Okay. Nirvana. But he, I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> Here we go. Backstreet boys. <laughs> I don't care. No one can tell me that you don't like Backstreet Boys. I don't like the Backstreet Boys. I never liked the Backstreet Boys. I never, never once liked or listened or appreciated any of the shit that came from the Backstreet Boys, Craig. Okay. And and you walk around this like, Motley Crue, yeah, these guys are unbelievable, and I'm getting this from you. Now, granted, I like my pop music here or there. That's my whole thing. He, you know, he does. He does like that stuff. So, I want to hear his new sound system with like, you know, like the like old school when they're trying to pick up like Will Ferrell, they're trying to pick up the old guy in the in the van and they're playing Master of Puppets. That's what I want to hear out of this sound yeah. system. And he throws this on. Turner, last thing. Um what's that uh what's that shitty band that you like out out west there, Petey? Uh, I don't know any shitty Canadian uh, Canadian band. Oh, the Nickelback. Nickelback. T, are you a Nickelback fan? Hundred percent. Great concert. Are they not some of the most entertaining musicians? Uh, Whether everyone rips on Nickelback, go see Nickelback live. Great show. Great show. Everyone rips on Nickelback. Yeah. Canada's got like six freaking bands. Riv, we've got to like them. Tragically hip, you like, like tragically hip though. Ooh, come on with that. So I went oh, to the last show in. Then. Uh, I went to the last show in Vancouver when they on that tour. And the other part to the the hip part was Kirk Muller. My first year is great. He's friends with all those guys. Yeah, and Kingston our boy. first year at the Forum. Yes, we met. We got to meet Gordy and 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 the, and the band. I remember my first year doing that. But yeah, we got like six bands, like Anne Murray, the Hip, <laughs> and like. And like Nickelback, that's all we owe. And Loverboy. Like, what about Rush? Come on, Rush, on, Come on, Rush, Rush, Rush is awesome. What about Helix? Uh, another great band. I saw Helix in the heavy metal bar in Prince George and the Generator. Great show. <laughs> and then my favorite, maybe my favorite band of all time, maybe my definitely my favorite band from Canada is Our Lady Peace. That's that's where great I'll, band. That's where I'll. Uh, I'll wrap on that. Oh man, I love it. This has been a lot of fun, man. This I already have the title for the episode too. Backstreet's back. <laughs> it's gonna be a walk, and he knows too. I, I, he, like you said, he buried that. He buried that 
uh, music as far back as the Koivu story. It was right there on par with that. That's how far back he had. Yeah, but did you go in the locker room? (laughs) Did you go in the locker room and sewer him in front of everybody? Oh, oh, 100%. 1 million. I didn't let that go. And guess what? I didn't care. No, he didn't. Because that, after our win, Saturday night at the the Centre Bell, or we would be (laughs) out on, uh, out, doing it up and i would get uh, i would get the music going and make sure backstreet boys uh, had oh my god point. yeah surprising you guys stayed friends this long turner yeah. thanks for your time man this has been outstanding great it's All been right, great guys. for me to sit back and listen to two former teammates who go way back reminisce about stories it's been a lot of fun thanks man thanks guys Thanks, Turner. That's a wrap on another episode of after the whistle don't forget to follow us on twitter after the whistle and at Greg Reve 52 at the instigator 76. And you can find us as you already know on Apple, Spotify and YouTube and anywhere else where you can get your podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to spread the word.